Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 through 26. And just as uh, last week we read the Ten Commandments, uh, which is probably very familiar, there's probably some lines in here that are less familiar. Um, But before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for the grace that you show us. We thank you for uh, the ways that you have given to us um, much better than what we deserve. God, we thank you that you have given to us your word, uh, that we do not have to uh, guess about uh, who you are or who we are or how we are to live in this world and in relationship with you and with each other. God, we thank you that you have revealed uh, so much to us God, we pray that you would help us to pay attention to what you have revealed. God, that we would come to know you better, that we would come to love and trust you more in everything, that we would come to be the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 to 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up onto my altar, and do not go up to my altar on steps or your private parts may be exposed. Didn't see that coming, did you? Okay. (laughs) For those of you who are still considering whether or not to read the whole Bible together uh, on Wednesday nights, there may be things you've missed all the way through. (laughs) It's good good to read the whole thing. Um, But also to read it together, so when you hit strange things, you're like, wait, what? And you have people you can talk about it with. Anyway. We're moving on. Luke chapter 4 is our gospel reading, verses 1 through 13. And this is uh, just after the baptism of Jesus. And then, was Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. All right. 
We have been looking at um, this letter of Paul to the church in Corinth, and we've been talking about it as a way in uh, which we're looking at life together, uh, but living out the good news of Jesus together. And that's the whole idea. And so it's not just people who are um, living life together, but it's people who are living out the good news of Jesus in their life together. And this is what the people in uh, the church of Corinth were trying to do. And this is also where they had gotten off track. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this about yourself or about anybody else. I'm not trying to you know, say anything about your driving skills, but have you ever noticed uh, somebody who's driving down the road and they just stop paying attention for a little bit and they start to drift over and then they notice that they have started to drift over the line and then what happens? They just ease right back? <laughs> typically, no. Typically what happens is as soon as you realize how far off you've gotten, your instinct is to go, oh no, <laughs> And overcorrect. And very often, it's that overcorrection that's actually more dangerous than the initial drifting. Isn't that weird? It's actually the fixing of the problem that becomes a bigger problem. As we go through 1 Corinthians, we see this kind of thing all over the place, where Paul uh, is telling them something and saying, you're, you've gotten off track here. You've gone this way. And then you see that there are people in the church who are going, oh, no. So they go the entire other direction. And he's like, no, 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 not that either. And this is where we are today. We're in one of uh, those <laughs> overcorrection problem. Here's where we, what I mean. So what we were looking at in uh, last Sunday, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is we were looking at this, uh, well, part of what we're looking at is this idea of uh, lawsuits and people, you know, one Christian suing another. And, uh, and he was you know, pointing out that what they were doing is they were showing to the world, very often in these lawsuits, they're showing to the world, to the church, and even to themselves, that they believe that money and stuff is more important than people and the things of eternity. Okay. That makes sense. That fits in, actually, with things that Jesus said. I mean, you look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in chapter 6, Jesus specifically says, you know, do not store up for yourselves uh, treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A little bit later, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right. And so you see that there seems like there's this tension between the things that are spiritual and then just the stuff of this earth, right? And it's the spiritual things, the treasures in heaven that are more important than the stuff of the earth. And here, so, so the people that he's talking to last week who are acting like the stuff is the most important, he's like, it's not. But where's the overcorrection? What would the overcorrection be? go the other direction and say, oh, so stuff doesn't matter at all. The only thing that matters is the non-physical. 
the physical stuff of this world doesn't matter at all. It's the spiritual things. That's, that's what, we're, what really matters. That's what we're concerned with, and the rest of it doesn't matter. And to that, Paul is going to say, no. <laughs> this actually may get you into even worse problems. So here's where we are. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, verses 12 through 20. Uh, he's going to quote things that people are saying in this regard and then come back and explain um, what is right. So here we go. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Did you hear it? Did you hear him correcting the overcorrection? <laughs> and the way in which uh, now, instead of relating to money, we're looking at, uh, there's kind of money, sex, and power, the big three, right? Now we're looking at uh, the relationship to sex, in which case people are saying, hey, this is great. If if what he's saying about um, you know stuff doesn't matter, well, it's the same thing. Physical bodies don't matter. So what we do with our physical bodies doesn't matter. It's and this is, by the way, what I like to call uh, mafia Christianity. Is that nobody knows what that means. Okay, I'll explain. Um, <laughs> that's where you have uh, the the uh, organized crime rings, where you've got all these people who are. Uh, involved in you know, drugs and, uh, and theft and uh, murder all week long. But they go to church every Sunday, and they pray, and they're all good to go, right? And then back Monday through Saturday again, it's just all back to all the criming. <laughs> and it's like, wait, that's not what it means to live the good news of Jesus um, in any way. And so this is the same kind of thinking that we see here, but the way that they're thinking about it is it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies, right? So you, you kill people, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's, it doesn't matter how much you're hurting other people. In this case, it's, that doesn't matter if you're sleeping around. That doesn't matter. It's our bodies, right? And if the physical stuff doesn't matter, we're not storing up treasures on earth, we're storing up treasures in heaven, so it's the spiritual stuff that matters. So my body can do whatever my body wants to do. This is where we have the saying, um, you know, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, God will destroy them both. This is the thinking. Is, you know, you think about it, what is food for but to feed my stomach? And what is my stomach for but to process food? Nothing spiritual about any of that. And actually, all that's going to end, that's going to go away, and so I'm going to destroy it destroy them both 
It doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. And then, of course, they're using this line of thinking to extend into the sexual area. Saying it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. Our bodies are made for sex, and so that's what we do. And it doesn't matter. That's separate from my life with God. Think anybody thinks this kind of stuff today? Maybe. But here's what uh, Paul comes back with. He takes that same saying that they have, food, uh, food for the stomach, stomach for food, God will destroy them both, and answers it point by point. Because when it comes to the body, he says, uh, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. It doesn't say, and God will raise them both, <laughs> because he's already raised Jesus. That's who he's talking about when he says the Lord. And when he says that we, uh, or the body, is uh, meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body, he's talking about our relationship with Jesus and the way in which we now, the things that we do with our bodies, you may have heard the saying that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, right? The things that we do as, uh, in our bodies are done as members of his body, as a part of uh, the life of the church, as a part of the life of Jesus uh, in us and through us. Here's the other part of that, though. Jesus himself says it's meant for the body. And you might remember, you know, we talk about this at Christmas time, that Jesus was born with a physical body, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus uh, died physically. And that when he was raised again to new life, he wasn't just raised spiritually, but physically, as though the body matters. Raised physically in a way where he is eating fish, where he is saying to his disciples, look at my hands and my feet, touch them and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. It's in Luke 24. This is Jesus uh, physically being raised in the body. Maybe what we do with our bodies matters. You think what Jesus did with his body matters? Paul says the same for us. That what we do uh, with our bodies is done for the Lord. And then he even says, by, God, by his power God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Now, uh, there is this overarching principle that he has uh, mentioned at the very beginning, that's one of the sayings they have, which is, I have the right to do anything you say. This is this freedom in Christ idea. Okay, sure, things matter, but we're free in Christ. We're not under the law. Those things don't apply to us anymore. We are free to do whatever we want. And Paul says, no, no, no. <laughs> yes, you're free in Christ. Paul's pretty big on that, that we're not under the, uh, the law anymore. And yet, we are, um, we are those who are now under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. And that means we can't do whatever we want. In Galatians, uh, Paul even says, um, boy, this is, in chapter 5, uh, read the 
second half of chapter 5 and gets through the acts of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. But even before going into that, in verse 16 and 17, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. In the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things uh, that Jesus deals with in uh, the first part of chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, he goes through three things back to back to back and says, basically, there's a way that hypocrites do things, and then there's the way that you're supposed to do them. Don't do it like the hypocrites do. And the three things that he goes through, one is giving to the needy. And he says, when the hypocrites give to the needy, they're like announcing it to everybody. They want everybody to know that they have given money to the poor. And it's like, well, great. Well, I'll tell you this, though. They've already received their reward in full because what they wanted was the praise of people. They got it. That's it. They get no more reward for that. He says, but then the answer, though, is not, okay, we'll overcorrect. We just won't give to the needy. Fix that problem. It's like, no. <laughs> he says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He goes through three things. Giving to the needy is the first one. The second one is uh, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. <laughs> what is, how is it the hypocrites pray? In front of people. They want to be seen by people. That their praying is just to get the praise of people. And he says and they've, they've received their reward in full. But the answer, of course, is not to not pray. The answer is, but when you pray, <laughs> go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Anybody know what the third thing is? Giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. That's the third thing. And with fasting, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Here's the way that they do it. When they, uh, the hypocrites, they, they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. That's what they want. They just want everybody to know that this is what they're doing. They're scoring points with the people around them. Oh, look how good I am. No. But he doesn't say that the answer is to not fast. Or, yeah, to not fast. Instead, he says, but when you fast, assuming that his disciples, his followers, will fast. He says, here's how you do it. Put oil on your head, wash your face, so it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who's unseen. And the idea here, is that there are things that we are supposed to do that do matter, but we're not to do them as show for other people. We're to do them because they matter in our relationship with God, right? So there are physical things that we do that actually are a part of our relationship with God, that it's not just the spiritual, that there's a physical and spiritual component together. And when it comes to fasting, the reason I bring this up is uh, because the, the purpose of fasting is not, obviously, to show other people how good you are. <laughs> Look how long I can go without food. It's not a diet plan. That's not what it's about. And it's not about scoring points with God either. Well, if I do this, then he'll really be happy with me. That's not it. What is it about? But it's about uh, countering this idea of food for the stomach, stomach for food, about I have the right to do anything, we are not wild animals. But we do have 
instincts, cravings, desires that are natural. And if we were wild animals, then we just follow all of our instincts, cravings, and desires, right? But we're not. And so, fasting is one of those uh, ways that reminds us that we don't have to be ruled by our desires. When you fast, do you get hungry? Yes. (laughs) And you have your body just screaming out, you've got to give me food. And it's an opportunity in prayer and preferably also after talking to a doctor um, where you get to say, no, my, my body is not going to rule me. My instincts are not going to rule me. My desires are not going to rule me. And so this is where, um, says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Ah. So as Christians, do we have the right to eat? Of course. Should we, should we be mastered by food and by our appetites? No. And when you extend this further, which Paul does here, this goes into other areas as well. It's not just about food, is it? This is about our sexual desires and appetites. Don't be ruled by that either. There are um, all kinds of things that, uh, that the Corinthian culture said was just fine. And that then you have people in the church who are going, what? We're free in Christ. We can do whatever. So we'll just go right along with whatever's going on around us doesn't matter. It's the body anyway. Paul says, no, don't forget who you are. There's a um, saying we have in our house that's actually based on this. I've told it to you before, probably heard this a few times. And that is uh, just because you have the right to do something, so just because you have the right to do it, doesn't mean it's right to do it. Yeah? Just because you have the right to do it doesn't mean it's right to do it. And this is, um, I think it's an, an important reminder that we don't stop uh, our reasoning at the question of, well, do I have the right to do it? Because we've got the right to do all kinds of things that we should not do. And if we stop it, well, I have the right to do it, we get ourselves far afield of where we ought to be. And so he gives us the uh, two corrections here. He gives another one in 1 Corinthians 10. When it says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So those are the two questions we have to ask, at least, once we realize we have the right to do something. Is it beneficial, though? (laughs) And what does that mean? And then is it, if I do that, is that something that's going to then rule over me? Now, I mentioned that the church in Corinth saying, hey, it's just the body, doesn't matter. And so the, um, what they are specifically engaged with here is the prostitution that was so prevalent in their community. Everybody's sleeping around, sleeping with prostitutes, 
uh, often at pagan temples, but some, you know, just more run-of-the-mill prostitution that you have in a city where people are um, passing through from all over the world quite often. And Paul is saying, do not do this. Uh, Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And he says, flee from sexual immorality. And now this next line, uh, I really think uh, ought to have quotes around it. Not the only one who thinks this, I saw this in a commentary as well. But it's all the other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. I really do see that. And we, this is one of those we can agree to disagree, whatever, however you see this. But I really think this is one of those other sayings in the Church of Corinth that they were saying, look, when, you know, the real sins, that's stuff that you do that doesn't affect the body. But the stuff that you do against the body, it just affects the body, and that doesn't matter. And I think this because of how he's been writing so far, and then also the response in verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So, why is it that we're supposed to honor God with our bodies? That what we do with our bodies matter? I mean, it's partly for our own good, right? We're not going to be mastered by our physical appetites. But also, because we're not going to do things uh, that are um, harmful to others. But also, and more importantly than all that, is as he says here, we've been bought at a price. And actually, it is that we have been bought because of who we are and who it is that we are to become. And that is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how much you know about temple kinds of stuff. If the answer is anywhere from not very much at all to a fair amount, I would highly recommend that you watch uh, the Bible Project video just called Temple. It is, I don't know, like five minutes long, and it takes you all the way kind of through the whole Bible as it relates to temple. But the, um, the main idea of a temple is this is supposed to be the meeting place between God and his people, right? And, um, and this is the place where God uh, rules and reigns and rests with his people. And what Paul is saying is, don't you know that that is you now? That it's not a building. It is the people. This is what Peter talks about when he says uh, that you are living stones being built up together. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That it is in us and through us that God is resting with his people and ruling and reigning in this world today. And once we realize that, we realize how high the stakes are with what we're doing with our bodies, right? Think about it. When somebody went into the temple 
and they did things to the temple. That mattered, right? Can you imagine somebody going and just vandalizing the temple of God? Back in Old Testament uh, Judaism. You imagine somebody going in and vandalizing that. It's almost unthinkable, right? And what Paul is saying is that is exactly what it is with ourselves. We are the temple. And we should not be vandalizing the temple of God, whether that is with our own bodies or with someone else's. That there is a, uh, a reason for us to live differently than the rest of the world. There's a reason for the church in Corinth to live differently than the uh, rest of the culture of Corinth. There's a reason for the Christians of El Dorado to live differently than the rest of the culture of El Dorado. If our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in us and whom we have received from God, we are not our own. We were bought at a price. And therefore, we, as his people, as his temple, should honor God with our bodies. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for the mercy and the grace and the love that you have for us. God, we thank you for Jesus who has died to pay the price for our, uh, our sin. God, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. God, we do pray that you would uh, help us He would lead us in how we are to live um, differently. God, I pray that you would um, protect us from, uh, from the despair that the evil one wants to send our way. Thinking that if we can never be perfect, then we should just give up. God, protect us from that. God, remind us again of your mercy and your love. God, help us to continue to follow, uh, to follow you, to follow your way, to encourage one another, I'm going to be able to rest in the knowledge of uh, the love and forgiveness we already have. And God, we ask that you'd help us to live in line with who we are as your people, as your representatives, as your temple. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. May our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. It's not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen.